0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the Aaron Rupar Show. I've been thinking about launching a podcast for a few months now, and I'm a heavy consumer of podcasts myself, and I tend to enjoy ones that are both conversational and insightful. And so that's what I'm striving for here with this show. Uh, I plan for it to be an extension of a lot of the topics that I cover in my newsletter, Public Notice, where I cover uh, a lot of right wing politics, American politics more broadly, and news media. And along those lines, I'm very excited that the first guest is Ron Filipowski, who probably really needs no introduction, um, but he's a bit of a man of mystery on Twitter. He's a lawyer who's based in Florida, who has served for both the Rick Scott administrations and then briefly uh, in the DeSantis administration as well on a board that helped select judges before he left the Republican Party, became a Democrat, and now was known as being um, a very critical a person who covers the right-wing media ecosystem and Trumpism in particular. If you're listening to the show on a podcast app, you can also see the footage of my interview with Ron on my YouTube page. I just changed the handle um, as we get this show going. You can find me now on YouTube at The Aaron Rupar Show. That's, again, at The Aaron Rupar Show. Eventually, I hope to integrate video clips, which is probably what I'm best known for, into the show Uh, My conversation with Ron kind of spoke for itself, but we do talk specifically about a couple newsworthy clips uh, that have been on his account or on my account in recent days on Twitter. So you can pull that up. I've actually been retweeting the clips that we talk about. My Twitter handle is at A.T. Rupar on the off chance that you're not already following me. New episodes of the show are going to drop each week. I'm shooting for Wednesday um, to go live with new shows. And like I said, you can find it on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. So without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Ron. Welcome to The Aaron Rupar Show. And I'm thrilled today to have as my very first guest on the show, Ron Filipowski. Uh, If you're listening to this, you probably know who Ron is. He's a lawyer who is based in Florida, a former Republican who is now a Democrat, who does phenomenal coverage of American politics on Twitter. And maybe that's a good place to start, Ron, is just talking about your work a little bit, because... One of the things that I find so valuable about what you do is that you surface a lot of videos that are really hard to find, uh, whether they're little vignettes from Mar-a-Lago, clips from right-side broadcasting at Trump rallies, uh, social media clips that are just kind of floating around Facebook of political events. And it's so different than what the situation was like when I started doing video work in the fall of 2017, uh, because back then there were so few people doing the type of work that you and I do. That even finding a clip on Fox News, uh, you know, was really valuable. It could be a goldmine just watching Fox because there were so few people clipping. And now I feel like it's a very saturated market. Um, You know, Tucker Carlson, I think, is kind of case in point where in any given evening, there are probably a couple dozen people watching his show and clipping. And so, you know, if you don't get that clip in the first 20 or 30 seconds after it happens, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of value to doing that, or at least, you know, other people have you covered But that's one of the things with your account that I find to be so valuable is that you surface a lot of clips that are harder to find. And that's kind of a unique uh, corner of the Internet and corner of political coverage that you occupy. So maybe a good place to start is just, you know, asking you how you got into doing that type of work. And I don't want you to disclose any trade secrets necessarily, because I know that, you know, your workflow can be kind of valuable information. But um, just how you go about finding some of these clips that, that you surface on Twitter.
1: I think there's a a number of factors. Uh, First of all, you know, I grew up in Republican politics. My first Republican campaign was that I worked on was in 1988. So I was very involved in the party at the grassroots level, uh, elected to a bunch of positions, appointed to a bunch of positions, worked on campaigns, went to campaign school. So I have a pretty good um, handle on the grassroots Republican movement. But what really prompted me to do it on a social media perspective was was really the 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 moment was Rudy's press conference with Sydney Powell the first one where they brought out the the uh you know the crazy uh Hugo Chavez stuff and the Italian satellites and yes I was driving back from court um in Tampa and literally going over the Skyway Bridge I literally drove off the road and just started writing notes cuz it was so insane to me and I heard all these theories and stuff. And so that's when I really got, so, kind of delved into where are they getting this stuff from? Where is this stuff coming from? And then um, that led me into all the people behind the Stop the Steal rallies, the Proud Boy groups, the Oath Keeper groups. And I just sort of went into this world on these alternative alternative sites. And I saw the momentum building for January 6th. And that's when I started sort of tweeting about this and saying, look, I think this is going to be really bad. I think this is going to be really violent and and all of that. And and um, and so and then it happened, of course. And that's when I got a much bigger following is when a lot of the stuff I was saying was going to happen, happened. And then I just took it from there where I just stayed with it. And I stayed it went dove into their their world. And a lot of them were deplatformed from Twitter. A lot of them were were kicked off Fox you know, the Lindell's, the Roger Stone's, the Michael Flynn's. And so they went on to these alternative places and I followed them there. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of just how it started was more organically was me just following the people. And then they started doing these conferences and these traveling road shows. So I, you know, I plugged into that world and, and also part of it was, you know, what you were doing and, and others, you already had Fox and Newsmax covered. Mm. And so I, I thought, well, there's a need for somebody to get into these alternative things. There's not really anybody doing that. And so that's what led to me.
0: And that's, that's fascinating to me, because I feel like you have been tweeting and covering politics for years and years and years. But it sounds like this is actually just a couple, you know, a little over two years old, because that first um, news conference that you mentioned with Rudy and Sidney Powell, of course, that was the infamous one if people don't remember where Rudy's face was melting. Um he had the black ooze uh st- right? I think that's right. That was one where he had the ooze streaming down his face, um, which happened previous yes. to the the four seasons total landscaping one that I think is um you know more more legendary or more widely remembered. But um that's that's interesting because I feel like you were you were covering Trump and Trumpism long before that, but maybe um maybe you were, but just not with video. Is that right? I wasn't on social media,
1: you know, oh, okay. I was, I was a triathlete at the time. And and part of it was I got hurt. Um, okay. I tore my hamstring, did permanent in a race, did permanent nerve damage in my foot in 2019. And so that freed up a lot of time, <laughs> you know, I trained 11, <laughs> takes a lot of time, 11 yeah. times a week, yeah, six hours a day. So I couldn't do anything anymore. And so um, the election was coming up, um, COVID hit. I was watching the COVID briefings. I was a Republican and, and that's really what sort of motivated me to, motivated me to start to think yeah. about leaving the party and getting into okay. social media was, you know, just watching his news conferences on COVID. And I was so revolted and disgusted by what I was seeing. And I was, you know, I had kind of not paid that much attention to Trump just because I never liked him. And that sort of COVID kind of forced me to pay attention. And what I saw just disgusted me. And so... I reached out actually to Bill Crystal's group first, mm. which at that time was Republican voters against Trump. And I did a video for them. And then other groups started asking me, you know, start doing videos. And then I got on Twitter 75 days before the election for the first time. And I swore I would wow. never get on social media because I'm obsessive compulsive. Uh-huh. And and I knew that that would sort of lead me <laughs> into an unending circus. But but I did it.
0: Interesting. So I'm, I'm inferring from the the timeline that you probably supported DeSantis in 2018, was when he was elected, right? So were you a, were you a supporter of his at that time?
1: I was an Adam Putnam supporter. I knew Adam, okay. um, who ran against him in the Republican primary. I knew Adam well, a moderate Republican like me. Um, you know, long history in the party, had checked all the boxes, did everything he was supposed to do, which was very similar to me, you know, coming up and, and doing all the things that you were are normally supposed to do in Republican politics. DeSantis came out of nowhere. You know, I mean, I didn't even know who he was, um, even though I've been involved in Florida Republican politics. I barely knew who he was. And of course, the Trump endorsement hit and the the polls <laughs> flipped 50 points in 24 hours um, which, you know, interesting, DeSantis in his book is claiming now that that endorsement really didn't matter that much. And, sure. and you know, he would have won anyway and this kind of thing. But uh, no, he, DeSantis would never be governor without Trump.
0: Yeah. And did, did you actually read his book?
1: I read excerpts and okay. I read a few reviews. But no, I haven't read the whole book,
0: but OK, I mean, that's, yeah, as yeah. a reporter, I'm curious. But, you know, doing a newsletter three times a week, I can't really invest that sort of time to read his entire book. Um And I'm kind of assuming that it's your typical, you know, campaign promotional type book. But um yeah. I did see the the passages on Trump that he kind of downplays Trump's role in his rise. Um making some headlines. And and that is interesting, given uh, the context of what's happening in the Republican primary, which I do want to talk with you about at some point. But I want to back up a step because I'm, I'm curious to hear more about why the COVID briefings were kind of your breaking point. I mean, I think intuitively, you know, those of us who watch those as I did, um, you know, they were quite disgusting. And, you know, we had the the scene of Trump Suggesting that uh you know infrared light might cure COVID and injecting bleach, you know, all of that stuff. Um, so I don't think we need to rehash all of that. But you know, was there anything kind of beyond the obvious that that yeah. represented a breaking point for you in terms of those briefings? And then um I'm curious if that also, I mean, that would explain sort of turning away from uh Trump and Trumpism, but what led to your falling out with DeSantis? Because you know, just to mention one other bit of context here. Uh Ron was actually appointed to a board by Rick Scott, who is, of course, the governor before DeSantis. And then uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but DeSantis reappointed you. Correct. At one point. So I'm curious to hear more about what kind of led to your split with DeSantis.
1: The COVID briefings, it wasn't. Here's the thing. All of our lives were upended. We were on lockdown. You know, we're all at home and i think we were all kind of freaked out and we wanted medical information and and i wanted to hear from the medical people i wanted to hear from fauci and burks and and some of those people and 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 these briefings were 2 hours long and my wife was going crazy because my blood pressure was through the roof i'm throwing things at the tv you know and and because you know when he would veer off into you know russia gate and you know um And you got all these doctors and scientists standing up there. He's talking about North Korea. And I was just fuming, you know, I'm just like, what, what is he doing? I don't want to hear about all this stuff, you know, and he's going into all these past grievances and, and I want a health briefing, you know, I'm at home on lockdown. Tell me about the virus. So that was really the thing, just watching that day after day and watching the Cuomo briefings alongside them, which were airing every day, and it would be like, I mean, quote, his handling of COVID in hindsight, COVID in hindsight probably wasn't great, but you know, at least he was sticking to the science and the, and sure. the medical information, unlike Trump that was just this mania. But no, oh, yeah. I, I would say my break from Trump came before my break with DeSantis. I was still, yeah. I was still on board with DeSantis even after I decided not to support Trump.
0: Yeah. OK. So but then what led to what led to you deciding? Because I know that you identify now as a Democrat. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, I, I'm just curious to hear more about kind of what, you know, the if, if, there specific, if there were specific policies, if it was more the style of politics. Um, I know you're sta- you're staunchly critical of DeSantis these days. But, um, yeah. you know, DeSantis, um, it's not like he was more responsible than Trump necessarily with covid. But, you know, and that's become kind of an interesting flashpoint in their uh, primary campaign where it seems like they're trying to outflank each other on the side of being who was more irresponsible, basically. Um, and, you know, so DeSantis can stake his claim there, too, in terms of saying that, um, well, I don't know, he's he's not, beaches were shut down. So he's not claiming that beaches weren't shut down, but Trump is hitting him over that. But anyway, so I'm, I'm just curious to hear, you know, if it was policy, if it was the style of politics, what led to you, you know, deciding that you're a Democrat and kind of turning away from the Republican Party more broadly beyond just Trump himself?
1: Well, I mean, the short answer is my plan was I was going to go independent after the presidential election. But, you know, and that was that was what I was going to do. Uh, I decided to remain a Republican through, through the campaign because I was doing a lot of the commercial stuff for these groups that wanted Republicans against Trump. So, you know, they didn't want me to become an independent then. Um, but that was my plan. And then January 6th happened. And that's when I decided, like, we are in, literally in a fight for survival of our republic right now. And I yeah. can't, I, I kind of have always viewed independence as, you know, straddling the fence. And I just felt like in that fight for survival, I have to take a side, a firm stand on one side or the other. So even though I still consider myself somewhat conservative, and and pretty middle of the road guy, um, and I don't agree with everything you know that every democrat stands for mm. um i am definitely more comfortable in the democratic
0: party and i think on the big things you know we agree um yeah and and so, one one, I, one other bit i just want to for the yeah. timeline here is um just very briefly you were you were on a board um what what was the board that you were on
1: well, I was on a board, it's called the Judicial Nominating Commission. It's a board okay. that um, interviews and selects candidates for how, how it works is the governor can't just appoint whoever he wants as a judge. It's not like the president. Um, we In Florida, we have a, a board that I was appointed to. It's nine people. And we do, we might interview 40 people for a judge position and do interviews and, and check their backgrounds out. And then you send three to six names to the governor and the governor must choose one of the people we've selected for the slate. So that's what I was appointed to by Scott and DeSantis.
0: Okay. And then did you resign following January 6th? No, I resigned
1: over the Rebecca Jones search warrant.
0: Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: That was, that was probably my, the the point, that was the end of the thing for me. The first thing was when he threw the state back open, you know, after 30 days, I thought was very reckless and irresponsible. Not only that ordering businesses who wanted to have restrictions that they weren't allowed to. So literally like telling businesses what they couldn't, couldn't do, I thought was very anti-conservative. And, but the final thing was, yeah, the Rebecca Jones thing, because, you know, and I want to make clear, which I made clear at the time, I'm not a Rebecca Jones, you know, fan or apologist or backer or anything of that sort. I never was. But I thought that, you know, when he did the he criminalized what she was doing, which was she was getting information through back channels from Mm -hmm. inside the state, the people at the health department. And DeSantis wanted to shut that down. Right. How is she getting this information? You know, so raided her home and seized all her devices. And I thought that was just completely, you know, crazy that he did that.
0: Because at the time, if I'm recalling right uh Florida was not releasing a lot of information about COVID. It was like they were releasing kind of like a monthly update. But, you know, at that time in 2020, uh, the daily numbers, you know, people were kind of obsessing over that because we didn't really know what we were in for. And she was trying to bring more, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but trying to bring more transparency and kind of do her own information gathering operation. And that led, you know, she was accused basically of like leaking government information, right? Was that the accusation? Uh, Yeah. There were two
1: things that DeSantis was doing that we felt he was monkeying with the numbers, which was number one, he was not count. We have snow. We have a lot of people that live in Florida six months out of the year. They're snowbirds, you know, they're down here during the winter. And he was refusing to count if, if they would come down here, get COVID and die. He was not wanting to count them if they were like officially residents of Ohio, sure. even th- you know, because he was saying, "Well, that that has to count in Ohio's numbers, not ours." So that was one thing he was doing. The other thing he was saying is, "Well, we shouldn't count COVID deaths if people have pre-existing conditions like high blood pressure, because how do we know for sure they really died of COVID?" So he was he was you know, saying these things that made us distrust the numbers. And yes, Rebecca was somebody who was saying, look, I'm talking to people inside the state government and, and they're telling me that he's monkeying with the numbers too. So, right. you know, right. then he raided her house and I thought that was just way over the top. And then he denied that he knew about it, which he clearly did. His press secretary ended up resigning after making a ridiculous statement over it. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that bro, was that, that was the final straw for me with Desantis.
0: That, that's a really high bar for Florida officials too, because the um, the Surgeon General it, Lapido is that I'm, I'm going to mispronounce his last name, but he he was on some far right podcast. I mean, you know, he makes preposterous statements like you and I breathe. So if uh, if a Desantis official resigned over a preposterous statement that's um that's pretty remarkable in its own right but um yeah. one thing one thing I want to do in this podcast eventually we don't have the capability capability today is play news clips as we talk because I think you know especially for you and I that could be kind of a nice addition and one of the clips that I thought was so fascinating yesterday that was on your account I know it wasn't your video initially um and I thought that was kind of one of the funny aspects of this too is that I believe the video initially came from a Trump account But it was a clip from Fox and Friends of Brian Kilmeade in a Florida diner, basically asking the diners who they're supporting in the Republican primary. And of course, uh, for those who don't watch a lot of Fox, Brian Kilmeade has been kind of the leading purveyor of the DeSantis cult of personality on Fox News. He has traveled down to Florida to do a series of Puff interviews with him. And uh, DeSantis goes on Fox and Friends pretty regularly. So you could tell uh, that. Uh, Kilmeade kind of had some flop sweat during this clip trying to find someone in this diner who supported DeSantis. And I think eventually he did find uh, a woman who had a DeSantis shirt on, but even she kind of said, well, it's either DeSantis or Trump. I don't really have a huge preference. Either way is fine. And, you know, the other like half dozen people he asked, I think were all either Trump or um, there might've been like a Nikki Haley mixed in. But um, anyway, I thought that was kind of an interesting scene just in that, you know, we have this perception, those of us who don't live in Florida that uh, DeSantis is overwhelmingly popular there. Of course, he just won by 20 points a few months ago. So, you know, he is more popular than anything the Democrats can offer down there. But um, to kind of pivot to the the 2024 primary, which I know you're tracking closely, what's kind of your you know your broad assessment of the state of play? Um, Fox just did a poll that came out over the weekend that showed Trump up nationally by about 15 points over DeSantis when all of the different candidates are polled against each other, you know, about a half dozen or so candidates. But I guess I'm I'm specifically curious what you think, you know, if the Florida primary ends up being competitive, you know, in the sense that the there's high stakes and that both, you know, if it comes down to Trump and DeSantis as the, the two serious contenders, which I think it will. Um how do you think that would play out? Do you think that um you know, if if it was kind of, you know, if it came down to DeSantis and Trump in Florida that DeSantis would have the edge on him or is some of the national perception a little skewed and maybe uh DeSantis's brand is a little bit overrated?
1: Well, in his book, his new book, DeSantis, one of the points of emphasis that he makes is that he doesn't poll and he doesn't look at polls. And I actually believe him on that. I mm-hmm. I, I completely believe him. Um that he doesn't pay attention to polls. He goes with his instincts and he goes with his gut. And I, I, I definitely believe that, which is very different from Trump,
0: who lives and dies with every poll, you know. Um I think I, I thought his I thought his quotes on that were actually kind of um I was gonna say strong, but you know, it's, he was on Fox. DeSantis was, and he basically said, "I don't, I don't, I don't look at polls because I think the role of a leader is to lead, and then you, you yeah. kind of shape public opinion through your actions." Which I actually think is kind of a healthy way to look at it to a point. So, anyway, I just want to interject that. But yeah, but yeah,
1: he's very stubborn. I mean, if something polls one percent, that doesn't matter to DeSantis.
0: That so he's that. That's one of the
1: reasons why. Yes, he's principled, but it's also one reason why he's dangerous because he doesn't really care. What public opinion is on an issue. You know, he's gonna do what he wants to do. But I think in in my feeling on in Florida and being pretty dialed into Florida Republican politics and, you know, the influencer scene here in Florida among Republicans is they don't want him, they want him to run in 28. Mm. They want him to support, they want him as governor. They just elected him to be their governor. They don't want Jeanette Nunez, they don't want the lieutenant governor to be the governor of Florida. They don't want her. Um, you know, and so what they want is Trump to run for president, DeSantis to wait his turn and DeSantis to run. And I, in 28, and I think a lot of them are really aggravated by the fact that why is he doing this now? He's 46. There's Mm -hmm. no reason for him to run now. Uh, why is he trying to ruin the party? You know, why is he trying to ruin it for Trump? So I think, you know, he's getting some backlash in that sense that he's, being disloyal to trump and, and of course trump is feeding into that you know and, sure. and poking him constantly saying he's disloyal and and so th- that clip by the way is interesting because number one kill me follows me you know on twitter oh or- he does Okay. oh yeah oh. yeah a lot of the right wing people on newsmax and fox and stuff follow me because i cover their movement better than they do so sure. so they want information from me um and but that clip was sent to me by a paid trump influencer yeah oh, it was paid by the trump campaign so they send me stuff constantly so that's another thing too like like the laura loomer crashed his book signing last night well you know oh. they mm-hmm. they they sent me the video of that um because They want they want their anti-DeSantis pro-Trump stuff to get into mainstream media. And so I think that, you know, mainstream media is not going to follow them and put their stuff on. But they know that they follow me. And if I if I put their stuff out, there's a better chance for it to get on CNN. You know,
0: sure, sure. Yeah. No, I noticed when I clicked through to the source of the video that I think the guy had like Trump 2024, you know, like a hashtag of mega and his. In his profile or something like that. And, you know, probably you as well. When I amplify stuff like that, I, I do kind of have a little bit of a second thought where it's like, yeah, I am kind of spreading Trump propaganda here, but also the clip, you know, was very newsworthy in its own right because I think it kind of illustrated a a fascinating dynamic where uh the base still does seem to be pretty much all in on Trump. Although I will note that and I'm sure you watched this as well. Trump did a speech was on Presidents' Day, I believe. Uh I think he was in Tampa. I wanna, he was definitely in Florida. But he started attacking DeSantis and you could kind of hear his audience sort of groan. You know, they weren't really into his attacks on DeSantis. And so maybe that gets back to, you know, kind of what you were saying, that there's a a hunger for, you know, unity or not having this kind of bloodbath between Trump and DeSantis. But, you know, it seems like you know, you were saying that um your sense is that. You know, Florida Republicans don't want DeSantis to ruin the party by running against Trump. But couldn't DeSantis argue that he's actually kind of saving the party because that ends up being Trump Biden round two? I mean, I don't think there's any reason to believe that Trump is going to have a better outcome than he did in 2020 at this point. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong there, but um, it seems to me that the idea that if Trump's a Republican nominee, you know, unless something really unforeseen happens where there's a major recession or, you know, the the war in Ukraine really escalates where there's NATO involvement or something like that. Um, you know, that could really kind of turn public opinion against it in some way, shape or form. Um, It seems kind of hard to imagine, to me at least, that Trump could beat Biden in 2024. But w- what's your read on that?
1: Yeah, my read is this. I want mutually assured destruction, you know, and that's my goal is for both of them to be destroyed. Uh, I don't want to replace one with the other, you know. And so there's these camps on social media and and their 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 media ecosystem is a lot of these people don't realize these right-wing podcasters have millions of viewers and they get millions of views sometimes maybe this happens to you but i'll post something from some podcaster and they'll go who cares about him and i'm like sure. do you know that they have 7 million followers yeah oh what you know they they're people on the left are very unaware that the right has created their own media ecosystem yep. and so there's these the two camps that are out there. You know, you have your DeSantis camps, which has kind of been organized and put together by Christina Pushaw, who was his press secretary, who's now with his campaign. She's put together this group. And of course, you have the Trump people that are out there who are much bigger in number. And the reason why at present I've sided with the Trump people that I'm using a lot of their material against DeSantis is, number one they produce some of the best anti-DeSantis material out there. Certainly better than anything any Democrat is putting out there. The Trump people's giving giving me a tremendous amount of ammunition. And, yeah. and a lot of stuff is stuff that they don't want to put out about DeSantis themselves. It's attacking. They don't yeah. want to personally be seen as attacking DeSantis. So they send it to me. I'm sure. perfectly happy to use it to attack DeSantis. So, and the reason why is because, look, I, yes, I view... That the best person to beat DeSantis in twenty twenty four is Donald Trump, not Joe Biden. I do not want to see a Biden DeSantis matchup. To me, that is a dangerous matchup for the Democratic Party and for the country. Uh, i I would prefer, even though I don't want to see Trump at the finish line, I prefer to have a Trump under indictment Republican nominee against Biden than a forty six year old popular florida governor with none of that baggage uh running against an 82 year old you know democrat with an approval rating in the 40s
0: you know yeah i I do kind of wonder on that because i'm sure you do as well I, i watch a lot of the desantis press events that he is doing these days on a nearly daily basis and they're all kind of leaning into culture war stuff and um you know he takes questions from reporters and sometimes he does actually get tough questions from real reporters and he has this kind of negative charisma to me where he's very kind of whiny and um, defensive. And I, I just, I'm not sure how that's going to play nationally. Um, and I also, I'm not quite sure, you know, if, if stoking the culture were over and over and over again, like he does, if that's really a winning strategy, um, you know, so w- w- what's your sense? I mean, if DeSantis ran against Biden, I guess, obviously he could highlight, uh, you know, Biden, like you, like you mentioned, his approval ratings are in the forties. He's not at a huge position of strength at this point, but um, it sounds like you think that there'd be a pretty good shot that DeSantis would fare better, um, at least than Trump, in a head-to-head matchup.
1: Well, on paper, yes. The, here's the big problem for him, in my opinion, and this is why it's so stupid for him to run in 24, is there's no path to victory if he wins the nomination. Because what do we know? Is If, if Trump was... A traditional politician, and he would accept defeat, and he would go, you know what, Ron beat me fair and square. Now I'm going to get behind him, and we all need to support Ron DeSantis. You know, that's the traditional thing that re- that politicians have done for centuries. Um, then, then I think DeSantis would be much more dangerous than he is in reality, because in reality, here's the problem: if he wins the nomination. This is what all the polls have showed. What I know from my own personal experience, what focus groups show is right now, 20% of the Republican Party never voted before 2016. Were, many of them were not Republican. Um, many of them were never even registered to vote. They are only Republicans because they love Donald Trump. They have no loyalty to anybody else in the party. And if Donald Trump is aggrieved, And if Donald Trump turns on Ron DeSantis, as we know he will do, they will not show up. They won't vote. They will stay home. And this is why Ron can't win. It's he can beat Trump maybe in a Republican nomination. And I disregard all polls right now. I mean, Mm. I I pay no attention to them. He could possibly do it because he can win the Western states and I don't think he can win you know, Georgia or Alabama, but he can win California, Oregon. He could win the Midwest. He could win Pennsylvania. There's a path for DeSantis to beat Trump. The problem is Trump will take his ball and his voters and go home, right. and they won't show up. We saw a sneak preview of that in the Colorado Senate race. That, that guy was neck and neck nice. for being able to win, right? And it was going down to the wire. And he gave an interview, and he said, you know what? If Trump was the nominee in 24, I couldn't support him. Boom. What did Trump do? Puts out a post. Yeah. Don't vote for this guy. Don't show up.
0: Yeah. O'Day, I believe his name O'Day, is. And, yeah. and he
1: lost. You know, yeah. and, and that's what Trump will do to DeSantis.
0: Well, well, Ron McDaniel has this all figured out, though. She's going to make Trump <laughs> sign a loyalty pledge. So that'll uh, that'll be that. You'll he, never he will never go back on his word.
1: That is so ridiculous. I mean, the loyalty pledge is for the rest of them it's not for trump i mean trump is the one who wants this pledge and and you know because he wants he wants pom- make sure pompeo and haley and and pence and and all these guys are going to support him that's really what the pledge is for as we know trump signing a pledge that means nothing to him that's like, you know, that's he he couldn't care less about about that, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah. T- two last things here before we uh, wrap it up. Um, you mentioned Trump possibly being under indictment earlier um, when you and I talked, I believe it was in November for my newsletter. Uh, I believe you mentioned I don't want to, you know, uh, hold you too accountable here, but I think you mentioned that you thought the indictment might drop and drop in December at that point, which obviously didn't happen. Uh, It's now March 1st. Um, I've kind of, you know, you're a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. I've basically taken the approach on this stuff that I will believe Trump is going to be indicted when it happens and not a moment before then. Um, What's your sense on that? I mean, are you still confident that that's coming? Uh, You know, Trump is obviously freaking out almost every day about the special counsel investigating him. Jack Smith, I believe the guy's name is. Um, And that to me kind of suggests that behind the scenes he is worried and, you know, believes that there might be some sort of indictment coming for him. But uh, what's your read on that?
1: I've always said that Georgia was going to be first. I've been saying that for two years now, you know, would be first because it's less complicated and it's more clear cut and it's on tape. And now we have a a grand jury making findings. I do think that's going to happen. I think that's what DeSantis is waiting on. Honestly, I think he's the main thing. There's a couple other things he's waiting on, such as the resign to run law being repealed in Florida, which is going to happen next month um, yep. to pave the way for him. That, But I think, you know, Trump is I, I definitely believe the Georgia indictment is about to happen anytime. Um, And I think that that's what DeSantis is waiting for. And I think his case then becomes a better case to make to, to the primary voters, which is how can we possibly nominate someone for president who's under an, a criminal indictment? I mean, mm-hmm. we can't do this as a party. This is this is insanity. So I think that strengthens the case when he announces if Trump is already under indictment. Um, so so I, I do believe that's going to happen. And that's setting aside the Jack Smith stuff, which I, I also think is going to happen as well. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that help, definitely helps him make his case a lot stronger.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And last thing I want to touch upon uh, that I also appreciate about the work that you do is that you're not shy about trying to hold Democrats accountable as well when you view them as falling short or, um, you know, in the specific case I have in mind, it's the Pete Buttigieg, you know, not visiting East yeah. Palestine for weeks. And you and I kind of DM'd about this. A little bit last week, and I thought you made kind of an, an interesting case that, uh, you know, when you're in the cabinet, um, sometimes, it, correct me if I'm misinterpreting you, but sometimes the perception that you're doing things is the most important thing or, you know, showing up is is a big part of the job. And obviously it took him about three weeks and, you know, many, many negative segments on right wing uh, TV to get down there. So, uh, you know, kind of recap your case on that. Why, why do you think that in a case like that, you know, Pete Buttigieg could have done both himself, the administration, and probably the Democratic Party more broadly, uh, you know, a favor by getting there sooner?
1: Democrats are, are, I mean, Republicans are much better than Democrats at messaging, symbolism, um, optics. Uh, I think Democrats are better on substance. Uh, for example, just to give you an example, you know, the gas, gas prices issue that came up. I remember being so frustrated that The administration wasn't defending itself when Republicans first started attacking it about gas prices, because I was looking at gas prices all over the world were going through the roof for a variety of reasons and was much higher than the United States. And then finally, the administration put out their response to the Republican attacks on gas prices. And you remember, Republicans were putting stickers on gas pumps. Joe Biden did this. That's you know, that's a perfect example. That's Republican messaging, which is putting a sticker on a gas pump. I did this. It's simple, but it it sticks in people's brains. They remember stuff like that. You know, people that are low information voters remember things like that. Meanwhile, what does the administration do? Says nothing for two months. And then they put out a 14 point essay as to why gas prices went up and i'm like there is not one human being on earth that's going to read that other than a tiny percentage so that's the contrast in the two approaches and you know ohio is is a perfect example you know which is as soon as i see these things bubbling up very early on. And that's my biggest frustration is I see these things and I and I start warning. I'm like, this is their next big thing, whether it's baby food, gas prices, inflation, you know, uh, Afghanistan, you name it. This is what they're going to hammer. What's your what's the response, whether it's the border, you know, what's your response? What's what's the what's the reply? What's the truth? And the administration and the Democratic Party is always slow on the draw they're always slow to react and they're always in defense mode when I want them to be in offense mode. When that train wreck first happened, they should have been in there saying, this is Norfolk Southern. This was Mike DeWine who set these trains on fire because he's a, he's a, he's a, a Norfolk donor. They they're he's, they're a donor to him. And, you know, not, not pointing fingers, but Hey, Defend yourself because the Republicans sure. were out there blaming everything on Buttigieg, you know, and yes, he doesn't even go there until. And then, of course, Trump goes there again. The substance of Trump's visit, there was no substance to it Nothing. whatsoever. But the optics of it were beautiful for 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 him. I mean, yep. we gave him an open field to run on instead yeah. of being there to tackle him.
0: You that, know? Was, that was probably one of the first smart things he's done politically in a while. Um, you <laughs> know, I, I thought that, you know, he he got a lot of coverage from that. Um, and, you know, it, it did lead to a round of stories over the controversy you know, over his deregulations, what role they played in that train wreck. But um, again, I think you're probably but right he, that for most voters, you know, they're not necessarily tuning in for that. They're seeing him there. They're seeing him with the mayor. And that's what really, you know, that's that's what counts for them.
1: But you know what combined the two of us? See, we do so we do the job of the that the administration and the DNC should be doing, um, which is what what did we do with that? We caught him on a hot mic on saying a couple really dumb things. Right. Like, hey, have a great time. You know, ha- everybody he I was talking of- with
0: yeah, he was talking with JD Vance, I think the mayor, and he and they were kind of just standing around, and he was saying stuff like, um, you must have no crime here it's no a great crime. place no yes. crime you know and it's like it's you know just kind of like almost psychotic rambling you know where it has That's just right. nothing to do with anything but he was clearly trying to make small talk and failing but uh yeah it was picked up by a hot mic
1: and then but when he went to the crowd and i got a, i got that off a of trump supporter's phone who i follow where she recorded him saying you know have a good time everybody have fun you know, it's right. yeah. he's trying. Yeah, he doesn't know how to talk to these people. You
0: you had kind of the signature video there. I think when they get a couple yeah. million views, I, I yeah. yeah, I think I saw it on your account. The that was the one in the McDonald's, right?
1: I was just outside. It was okay. just outside, and then and then I also had one inside the McDonald's too, where he was bragging about oh. knowing all the menu items
0: by heart. Oh, that was great. Yeah, but
1: yeah, just a few little clips like that can really undermine the whole message, you know, which sure. is this is not a serious thing. This is a joke. And I think that between the two, because you clipped it too, and I did, I think we did a good job undermining that, that trip. You
0: know? Yeah, me, me, you, and Asen, I think, are the three uh, you That's know kind right. of filling that gap on the left, at least. But, uh, well, thank you very much, Ron. I really appreciate it. It's been a fascinating discussion. And uh, thank you for being the first guest on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ron. And thank you for sticking all the way through the very first episode of The Aaron Rupar Show. Uh, like I said at the beginning, uh, please follow and subscribe to my YouTube page. That's at The Aaron Rupar Show. And subscribe if you're listening to this, please, uh, wherever you get your podcast, whether it be on Spotify, Overcast, Apple, etc. I'll have another episode of this next Wednesday. And so I hope you'll tune in then. And thanks for joining us for the first episode.